Hello and welcome to the Partners for Access Rare Disease and Cell and Gene Therapy Weekly Roundup. I'm your host, Max Rex. Today, we have a special guest on the programme. He is currently the International Developed Markets Public Affairs Lead at Pfizer's Rare Disease Unit here in Walton Oaks in the United Kingdom. In his role, he is responsible for external stakeholder engagement and internal cross-functional planning efforts to identify key opportunities and challenges across the rare disease policy landscape. His ultimate goal is to expand access to innovative and safe therapies and to improve standards of care for patients. In 2017, he co-authored a paper published in the Orphanet Journal of Rare Diseases entitled, A Review of 11 National Policies for Rare Diseases in the Context of Key Patient Needs. He's here today to talk to us about that paper. A warm welcome to Matthew Harold. So Matt, what were the main motivations behind carrying out this research? So, so thanks so much for having me here today. It's really um, uh, exciting to be able to, to talk to you guys um, about this subject. Uh, you know, I, I think what was a big motivation for, for myself and, and my colleagues to, to first of all, to, to do the research and to, and to better understand was, um, you know, th- this topic is because I think we all know this fact that the, the rare disease environment as a whole is incredibly complex and even more so the policy environment is rapidly evolving, rapidly changing. And so really trying to understand and make sense of that, not only for ourselves at, at Pfizer, but ultimately if we want to work with global stakeholders, stakeholders you know, around the world to, to improve the policy environment, we ourselves have to understand that a bit more broadly. Now, I think when you take a step back, I think, you know, just point I raised about the rare disease environment being incredibly complex and challenging, I think that's something at Pfizer and personally and in a lot of the travels and work that I do, you know, is something we, we, we infinitely and we intimately recognize. And for me, you know, an important part of that work that we do is around collaboration. And I think in rare disease, relative to what, what you see in current politics and you know, geopolitical issues around the world and, you know, increased nationalism, isolationism, uh, moving away from alliances and, and multilateralism, I think rare disease is completely the opposite because the challenge is so great, because there are six to 8,000 rare diseases with only 5% having, you know, an approved treatment and our, our knowledge of rare disease is though while it has improved over the past 10-15 years um, is still quite elementary in, in some ways and so the challenge that we face is incredibly complex and truly my own personal view but also the view of the company for whom I work Pfizer is, is that we need to collaborate with the community at large if we're ever going to make headway to to address these solutions and so this paper wasn't just about necessarily or this research wasn't necessarily just about doing research for the sake of it, but we realized that, you know, there was a lot of valuable research here that, you know, didn't need to just sit on a computer and a hard drive in the, in the four walls of Pfizer that really could benefit the community at large. And to do that, we partnered with, you know, two patient advocates, Durhan Wangringer, who is president of everything, I like to call her. She's a you know, Canadian um, by origin, but um, works for the Canadian Organization of Rare Diseases. She's the president CEO, but then also is part of uh, Rare Disease International, uh, a quite broad patient group in rare diseases and, uh, and a part of the Asia Pacific Alliance for Rare Diseases. So has really done a lot of work in the, in the policy environment. And then also Sharon Terry, who's part of, who's you know, founded the U.S. Genetic um, Alliance and has been a really key voice in the rare disease policy debate um, 
around the world. So, so what I think we were ultimately trying to find out um, in this research and part of the broader publication that we authored was ultimately how the rare disease or you know, policy environment works and how, just specifically as Pfizer, how as a community we can positively influence the policy environment such that positive change um, can occur for patients. Patients can get access to faster treatment, diagnosis, um, support services. And so that was really the, the main motivation behind it. What we wanted to get was understanding the pathways that allow for policy development such that patients can get quicker access, treatment, and care. So in, in, this, in this paper, what we tried to do was to, was to categorize a very complex um, environment and looking across a number of different dimensions, um, diagnosis, um, which is a huge issue in rare diseases, care, treatment, um, access to medicines, um, community support, and research, all which are um, key components that we entitled a, a National um, Rare Disease Plan, or NRDP. And so we looked at 11 different countries and kind of looked across these countries and looked at um, you know, their national rare disease plans, um, whether they had one or not. And we looked at kind of the components that I mentioned around diagnosis, um, you know, access to treatment and care. And we looked across a number of dimensions to see um, ultimately how each country fared on specific issues. So France uh, is currently on its you know, third national rare disease plan. It was actually just um, ratified a few months ago. And so um, what you see in France is uh, not only access and, and treatment issues around access and treatment have been addressed, but France has really moved into focusing on issues around research and encouraging innovation around research and through its centers of excellence. So, you know, it was it was very interesting to compare and contrast how different countries address the challenges of rare disease and leverage kind of the, the infrastructure and the expertise in countries to um, to, to make to make headways in, in, in its rare disease policy. What was the rationale behind your choice of countries to include in the analysis? So as I mentioned, uh, we chose uh, 11 different countries to focus on uh, Argentina, Brazil, Bulgaria, Canada, China, France, Germany, Mexico, Taiwan, Turkey, and the UK. And to some that might seem like there might be some, you know, uh, obvious countries in that, but some might think, you know, why did how did you guys choose these set, this this set of countries? I think, you know, we wanted globally to look across um, a wide swath of countries, not only geographically, but also in terms of size, diversity, and also, um, you know, their their national rare disease plan development. You have countries like France, who again are on their third national rare disease plan and, and quite advanced, um, and you have countries um, like China who are in the process of putting together rare disease plans who don't officially have a you know integrated comprehensive plan but are in the process to and so we wanted to look at kind of those differences and see um, kind of you know what what are some of the the, the challenges and opportunities in, in both types of models and I think really what's interesting is that a plan a specific legislation doesn't always isn't always the the key towards access and a lack of policy development doesn't necessarily mean that patients aren't always getting access as well. So I think, you know, you know, national rare disease plans are imp incredibly important, but what the paper also highlights too is its implementation. 
And that's the role that you know the patient groups and academia and doctors and industry can play a key role in thinking about how do we actually practically make sure that what's written in a, in a, in a book somewhere is actually implemented so that patients are getting access to the diagnosis services, to, to research, um, to treatment and care. So really we wanted to look at this because we have this hypothesis, hypothesis that just does policy necessarily equal access. And that's... It usually does, but that's not always the case. So implementation here was, was really the key. What were the key learnings from this research? So the, the findings of this study revealed a wide range of development and implementation of national rare disease plans across the 11 different countries that we surveyed. And it ultimately suggested that, I think this doesn't come as a surprise to many people, that, that many countries can benefit from improving critical elements of their specific national rare disease plans. And I think, you know, moreover, we, we looked at where countries fared in different levels of development. And so, you know, a challenge of maybe a, of one country might not necessarily be the, the challenge or the area of focus for the other countries. So perhaps giving guidance around how countries can prioritize and really think about how to you know, address some of the critical components in order to enable some of the, the, the biggest focus areas um, for care for rare disease patients. So I think, you know, the, the data that we saw suggested that national policies, which really include well-developed patient engagement and support programs, ongoing education, continued research, ultimately improve um, patient access to care. And the role of the patient community, you know, the, the reason why we have the, 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 in the Orphan Drug Act in the, in the U.S., well, one of the key reasons why was a woman named Abby Myers, who in the 1980s um, took a stand and, and fought for something that she believed in because of, because of her son. And you hear this story over and over again, that mom whose son, that parent, that you know, relative whose friend was affected with a rare disease, and they took up arms to make a difference. And I think you know, that's an important piece around why it matters, because the study gives us an opportunity to share knowledge and experiences across a number of different countries, but really thinking about this, this global rare disease policy environment and, and hoping that it can present some impactful recommendations that that countries, patient advocates, that you know, industry can can take up and really advocate for in order to improve access to treatment, support services, care for for all rare disease patients. I think you know, as I said at the beginning, there's so much evolution in the rare disease policy environment, and kind of again, the antithesis towards what we're seeing in the political sphere is now this this really um, tight coordination in in the rare disease space, and we're seeing multilateral institutions all the way from the UN to you know APEC, which is the Asia Pacific Alliance, um, Economic Cooperation, a multilateral economic uh, institution. We're seeing so much evolution in the rare disease policy environment and collaboration and that need. And I think you know better understanding and diagnosing these issues is going to be a critical aspect if we're ever going to get to, to really you know push forward comprehensive action you know to improve the to to and to enhance the huge challenges that we face in rare disease. We need that coordination. We need the, the expert patients. We need those patients that are continually advocating for policy change. We need industry at the table. We need academia. We need HCPs. And so I think in some way, this paper provides a lot of the fodder and a lot of the, um, the background that 
different you know, stakeholders can work together to ultimately help to think about how can we improve the situation for rare diseases and rare disease patients. And it's, it's a call to action. It's an opportunity for, for everyone to, to think differently and to think about how we can each you know, play an important role in, in, in rare diseases. So you know, it, it, was, it was great to, to have this opportunity, but it, it's my hope that we continue this research that, is, as you know, policy is not static. And so we constantly need to look back at this work to see, is it continually fit for purpose? What has changed? What hasn't changed? How do we track this over time? How do we you know, attribute um, you know, some of that development or lack of development? How can we work, again, more comprehensively and, and how can we coordinate across different stakeholder groups to solve this challenge? There's almost a, a social contract when you think about the work that, that industry does. And I think ultimately society grants us the right um, towards intellectual property. And so in order to, to make medicines, in order to bring those medicines to bear, society grants us certain rights um, through you know, government interaction, through you know, regulatory pathways, but, but those can be taken away. Um, and you know, we've seen discussions around those, um, you know, questioning of those rights if, you know, with, with certain challenges to the, to the rare disease environment. And so I think that you know, we have to be a part of that, court, of that collaboration. We have to be part of the solution. We have to make strides to show and to, and to help society at large, which we're intricately, intricately a part of. We have to make strides. We have to really make efforts to help advance and to make you know make important strides that can help to improve the environment and make this a more friendly um, policy environment for for everyone. But with the ultimate goal of you know never losing sight of that it's it's the patient at the end. It's it's that it's that mom. It's that um, you know relative who's who's fighting for their child, fighting for someone um, who has a rare disease that only that no one's ever heard of. I think you know that's why we do this, and I think this. This, this paper to me is very important. It, it, it's a call for collaboration. It's a call for collective action. It's a call for really understanding and really addressing some of the systematic changes and needs at both a country and a regional level. And I think we're making strides, but I think you know there's a lot of ways to go. And in industry, we can play an incredibly important role in in shaping and in helping to to push. Public-private partnerships are alive and kicking, and I think we need to to have a voice there, and we need to, uh, you know, again, try to make this environment um, more friendly for everyone. And that's it for this week. A special thank you to Matthew Harold for giving us such fascinating insights into rare disease policy, and for so graciously giving up his time this week to be here. If you would like to contribute to our podcast in any way please contact us at contact at partnersforaccess.com. For more news and analysis, go to our website, www.partnersforaccess.com. On the 18th of October, P4A's managing partner, Sophie Schmitz, will be chairing a panel discussion on the challenges and solutions for rare diseases at the BIA's London-based event. Register now at the BIA's website to find out more. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, wherever you get your podcasts, and please do share your thoughts in the comments section. See you next week. Thanks for listening.